as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. And you will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. And the mountains and the hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the pine tree, and instead of briars the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign, which will not be destroyed. Lord, may the word that goes out from your mouth into our hearts and spirit today. Lord, we stand upon the promise that it will not return to you empty, but will accomplish what you desire and achieve the purpose for which you sent it. Come today, living, eternal word of God, and speak your word into our hearts this day. We are here to receive from you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Thank you, worship team, for leading us this morning. So um, I actually have some um, sad news to share with you this morning, and this is honest truth sad, um, but uh, many of you have uh, enjoyed our wonderful dogs over the years, Maud and Molly and Matilda and Mabel, and on Friday, Mabel uh, went to her happy hunting grounds after 15 years with our family. So we've had dogs for 30 years in our household. And it is honestly very odd to walk in the house and not be greeted by any of our dogs, and including Miss Mabel. It's a very sad, sad thing. So um, anyway, I feel like a little bit like Fiona. Uh, have I told you about Fiona lately? Um, our almost two-year-old granddaughter. So uh, this past week, she was talking to her mom. She had a couple of rough days. And so uh, one day it was a Fiona fall down, Fiona hurting, uh, need chocolate, make better. Um, now, there's a good woman. And uh, and this is my favorite. So this is words out of her mouth my not-quite-two-year-old daughter saying to my daughter Eleanor the other day, Fiona feels fragile. <laughs> I was talking to, we were talking to my, my, them on Skype, and I was like to my son-in-law, oh boy, bud, have you got fun ahead of you? <laughs> ah, three strong women in his house. It's a good thing he's a strong man. All right. Anyway, so I feel a little fragile this morning, and uh, some chocolate will help, I'm sure. So, as well as some wonderful Korean food that we'll get to enjoy together. So, uh, please, again, you are all invited immediately following the service this morning uh, to a, a wonderful Korean feast that will happen as soon as the turnarounds can happen and all of that. Thank you for all of you that brought things for the welcome kits. I, we really are grateful for that. Lots and lots of stuff I saw coming on in, so thank you. You're going to impact lives in significant and substantial ways, and that is a beautiful thing. So, Well, this morning we are continuing our study 
of, and I'm not getting, I don't have ability to use this this morning. Needs either a battery or something, but, or some hookup. So if you guys can work on that and put it up for me if you would, Kathy. All right, there we go. Faith that works. Practical wisdom from the book of James. So if you have your Bible, pull it out. If you don't have uh, your Bible with you, you can use the Bible located in front of you. And uh, turn to, I think, right around page 855. And we're going to be in James chapter 3 uh, this morning. So um, kind of our, our focal verse here. Uh, whoops, go back to that. Thanks. Uh, so also by faith itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. And that's why we're calling this um, Faith That Works, Practical Wisdom from James. And last week, we kind of unpacked that whole piece about uh, how faith and works and all of those things uh, work together and come together. And I would encourage you to to get a hold of that. This morning, um, we are going to be uh, looking at an issue that probably none of you struggle with here. But I do, and so this one is for me, and you can overhear what uh, we will learn together. Taming the tongue, our challenge to become a mature person. All right, so um, this, I believe, is sort of a universal challenge, and I was telling somebody this week that um, I am really, I mean, I love Uh, studying the scripture. I love exploring the word of God. I love preparing to bring messages to you. And I've got to tell you, sometimes the word hurts so good. Anybody know what I mean? When the word of God digs deep into your heart. So the Lord's been digging deep in my heart this week, and uh, out of that digging, I'm going to share the overflow of some of that with you here this morning. James chapter 3 begins with these words. Well, actually, let's just go ahead and read verses 1 to 12. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in any ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My friends, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? 
My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh wine. Now, I want you to notice where James begins here. I think it's important for us to understand, particularly as we continue to focus this year on growing maturity. I don't know if you passed over this or if it caught with you, but I'm going to help, help, hopefully help it catch in your spirit this morning. He begins by saying, Now many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never in, at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. The word perfect there is the word for maturity. It doesn't necessarily mean without blemish, but it does mean fully grown up and mature. And so what I want to offer to you and submit to you this morning is this. In this year of growing maturity, one of the great challenges that we face is right here. Right? And in fact, it is our tongue which in many ways can become for us, well, it's sort of an indicator, uh, maybe a warning light on the dashboard, or it's a, it, it's, a, it's a way of discerning and discovering where our growth and maturity has come to. And everybody say, ooh. (laughs) Amen and ooh. (laughs) Ouch. Because I think if we're honest, we'll realize, I still have some perfecting to have happen. Still have some maturing and growing up to do in my life. And I think it's interesting, he says, able to keep their whole body in check, it's sort of like, our tongue, well, it talks about later, and we'll get to there, that, you know, our tongue being restless. That if, if we can bring our tongue into submission, which is, in a sense, the most difficult part of our body to bring in submission, ipso facto, by default, then the rest of our lives will begin to come into submission. say it's a challenge, isn't it? It's our challenge to become a mature person. Last night we had a beautiful evening, a healing gathering for parents in pain, and that night we, I, mostly me, shared our, our story of, of our own parental pain, and, and I can confess to you openly that um, a challenge as a parent <laughs> in taming your tongue. Yes? Any, any other parents have challenges in time? Or everybody else is great. Maybe you all can come and teach the class. <laughs> no. In your job, with your spouse, with your friends, with your classmates. And James goes after something really significant here. He says, not many of you should should become teachers because we're going to be judged more strictly. In other words, with greater responsibility comes greater scrutiny 
and our speech reflects our level of maturity, and so others are going to be able to look at us. And I don't know about you, but again, have you ever had those moments where you go, oh, if I could just take those back. Please. Or you've had the beautiful opportunity of just going and repenting because it's like, oops, I'm so sorry. Timing the time. Our challenge to become a mature believer. So, well, let's kind of unpack this passage. It kind of flows fairly naturally and got a couple stories to share that will help us get a hold of this. But the first thing that James says here and the reason why Taming the tongue is so significant and important and why it is a challenge to us but it's significant for becoming a mature person is that the tongue is influential. The tongue is very influential. As we look at what he says here in verses 3 to the beginning of verse 5, he says, when we put bits into the houses, mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. The tongue is a small part of the body, but it has a significant influence, like a rudder on a ship or a bit in the mouth of a horse. My son-in-law is a natural horsemanship instructor for vernacular, a, a horse whisperer, but, you know, and you watch working, and, and he works on a place that, um, on, on a farm out in Virginia that has Clydesdales. You ever seen those puppies? You know, massive things. Big, big. But, but somebody's sitting on that Clydesdale just with a, a bit right here in the mouth, can just with a tug here and a tug there, can turn. Our tongue is very influential. Let me tell you a story. This is a true story. In 1899, four newspaper reporters from Denver, Colorado, set, down, set out to tear down the Great Wall of China. They almost succeeded, literally. The four met by chance on a Saturday night in a Denver railway depot. Al Stevens, Jack Turney, John Lewis, Hal Wilshire, they represented the four Denver papers, the Post, the Times, the Republican, and the Rocky Mountain News. Each had been sent by his respective newspaper to dig up a story, any story, for the Saturday, Sunday editions. So the reporters were in the railway, railroad station hoping to snag a visiting celebrity should one happen to arrive that evening by train. None arrived that evening by train or otherwise, and the reporters started commiserating. For them, no news was bad news, and all were facing empty-handed return trips to their city desks. Al declared that he was going to make up a story and hand it in, and the other three laughed. Someone suggested they all walk over to the Oxford Hotel and have a beer. So they did. And Jack said he liked Al's idea about faking a story. Why didn't each of them fake a story and get off the hook? John said Jack was thinking too small. Four half-baked fakes didn't cut it. What they needed was one real whopper that they could all use. Another round of beers. A phony domestic story would be too easy to check on, so they began discussing 
foreign angles that would be difficult to verify. China was distant enough, it was agreed. They would write about China. John leaned forward, again, this is 1899 now, gesturing dramatically in the dim light of the bar room. Try this one on, he said. Group of American engineers stopping over in Denver en route to China. The Chinese government is plan making plans to demolish the Great Wall and our engineers are bidding on the job. Harold was skeptical. Why would the Chinese want to destroy the Great Wall of China? John thought for a moment, they're tearing down the ancient boundary to symbolize international goodwill, to welcome foreign trade. Another round of beers. By 11 p.m., the four reporters had worked out the details of their preposterous story. After leaving the Oxford bar, they would go over to the Windsor Hotel, they would sign four fictitious names to the hotel register, and they would instruct the desk clerk to tell anyone who asked that four New Yorkers had arrived that evening, had been interviewed by reporters, had left early the next morning for California. The Denver newspapers carried the story, all four of them, front page. In fact, the Times headline that Sunday read in great big capital letters, Great Chinese Wall Doomed, Peking Seeks World Trade. Now, of course, the story was phony. A ludicrous fabrication concocted by four capricious newsmen in a hotel bar. But their story was taken seriously. It was picked up and expanded by newspapers in the eastern U.S. and then by newspapers abroad. When the Chinese themselves learned that the Americans were sending a demolition crew to tear down their national monument, most were indignant and some became enraged. Now here's where the story turns very dark. Particularly incensed were members of a secret society, a volatile group of Chinese patriots who were already wary of foreign intervention. They, inspired by the story, exploded and rampaged against foreign embassies in Peking and slaughtered hundreds of missionaries. In two months, 12,000 troops from six countries joined forces and invaded China with the purpose of protecting their own countrymen. The bloodshed which followed, sparked by a journalistic hoax, invented in a barroom in Denver, became the white-hot international conflagration known to every high school history student as the Boxer Rebellion. It was started by four newspaper reporters in Denver making up a story. How many of you know the tongue is influential? The tongue is influential. That's why Proverbs, uh, or, you know, our, our speech has the power to affect human destiny, which is why Proverbs says words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit you choose. Did you hear me? Did you hear the word of the Lord to us this morning? Our words have the power to affect human destiny. So 
So I think the encouragement from the Lord to us this morning would be this. Choose well. You choose. So it might be a valuable exercise as we're growing in maturity, as we're seeking to become more perfect people, to to ask ourselves, are my words killing or are my words bringing life? And, you know, if you're honest with yourself, you know, right? Are my words bringing life into my home or are my words killing? Are my words bringing life into my workplace or are my words killing? Are my words bringing life into my school or are they killing? Is my words bringing life into my neighborhood or are they killing? Are my words bringing life to strangers or are they killing? What is happening? Your words have the power to affect human destiny. Speak life. Speak life. Speak life. Secondly, the tongue can be destructive or constructive. Going on in verse 5b, the last part of verse 5 and 6, consider what a great forest fire is set on fire by a small spark, The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Mmm. (laughs) I like them potatoes. Most of you know about what happened at 9 o'clock one Sunday evening on October 8th, 1871, when Mrs. O'Leary's cow kicked over the lantern as she was being milked. Starting the Great Chicago Fire, which blackened three and a half miles of the city, destroyed over 17,000 buildings before it was checked by gunpowder explosions on the south line of the fire. And the fire lasted two days and cost over 250 lives What you might not know is, ironically, on the same day that that, um, the Great Chicago Fire started, on that same exact day was the greatest inferno that the Midwest has ever seen. When a dry autumn spark ignited a raging fire in the north woods of Wisconsin, which burned for an entire month, taking more lives than the Chicago Fire destroying billions of yards of precious timber all from one spark. Our speech has the, has the power to destroy or build. Think about what the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. I've given you power to, to, to build and uproot. I've, I've given you power here in, you know, the prophetic word that was upon Jeremiah in uh, the book of Ephesians, which we just studied earlier this year. It says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Perhaps one way to define unwholesome talk in that context 
would be that which tears down rather than builds up. This isn't just saying, don't say, you know, dirty words. It's saying, don't say destructive words. Let's take a moment to unpack that a little bit further. Let's take a look at some examples of destructive speech, and then we're going to take some examples of constructive speech. But first, destructive speech. Gossip and slander. Of course, we never, ever do gossip or slander in the church. We do prayer requests. However we dress it up, we need to be really careful about the things that we say and the tales or the innuendos or the things that get spread. Gossip and slander are incredibly destructive. Deceitful flattery. I don't know if you've ever thought about that as destructive talk, but biblically deceitful flattery. These are most of these destructive speech. If you go back to the book of Proverbs, uh, you know, Noah and I just spent a bunch of time uh, reading Proverbs together and studying it and looking into it. We just, you know, before we go to bed at night and We'd read and kind of look at stuff, and Proverbs is full of wisdom about speech, and deceitful flattery is one of those that, you know, buttering somebody up, but you're really not doing it for their benefit. You're doing it for your own because you wanted to get something out of that. Strife, bitterness, rage, criticism. Destructive speech looks, comes, I mean, you know, and we're going to get to this in a moment, but, you know, comes out of that heart place, but, but it comes out with words that create strife and, and cause bitterness and, 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 and express rage and, and that criticism and, and there's so much. And it's corrosive. And frankly, we live in a really corrosive society. I, I just, you know... The stuff you hear on, uh, you know, the radio or TV or whatever it is and social media, you know, so much of that is just corrosive. Boasting and verbosity, just that sense of, again, building yourself up and, you know, whatever, and it's, it, it, and it's really coming out of this place of deep insecurity and, and so you've got to kind of somehow build yourself up it's destructive. It's not building up anybody else. Profanity and vulgarity. These would be the things that we maybe would first go to when we think about unwholesome talk, and they, it, it is. Again, we've, we've, we've got a very, you know, society has become increasingly more and more and more just, you know, loose about the words that come out of people's mouths. Lies and exaggerations. Those two are destructive. So these are all things that, again, we can go to 
Proverbs and find lots and lots of warnings about and direction around. But let's take a look for a moment at constructive speech. And these aren't necessarily going to be matched. You don't have to read across. I just, just read down on each column. But here's some things that I'd like to submit to you are ways of constructive speech because the good news is, is you can speak life and you can speak constructively. All right? So what does that look like? Well, it looks like truth in love. Speak the truth in love. Truth without love, not going to be constructive. Neither will love without truth. <laughs> both are needful. They're both part of that double-edged sword that Ephesians talks about that we are given, that we, that we need to learn to speak in. Wise counsel and sound advice. I'm so grateful for the people in my life who give me wise counsel and sound advice. I got a whole bunch of them because I realize that I need them. I need people to be able to speak into my life and bring me wise counsel, sound advice. And reproof and rebuke. What do you mean? Aren't those destructive? Isn't that criticism? I don't think so. Not when it's coming out of a heart that's speaking truth and love. And I, I don't know about you, but I've had multiple times in my life where people have spoken to me who love me, who've brought in me repro reproof or rebuke that has helped to unlock something or release me for something, from something or enable me to grow up in some way that I needed to grow up in. Exhortation, encouragement, and edification. The three E's of constructive speech there. Exhortation, speaking, again, into situations with bringing encouragement to build up and edification to help them you know, one another grow into all that God has intended for us to be. Comfort and consolation. How many know that it's such a help in times of grief and sorrow? Sometimes we may not even be able to hear the words because of the grief that we're in, but it's just so helpful when somebody just reaches out and speaks words of comfort and consolation, even if it's as simple as, I'm so sorry that you're experiencing this. I'm so sorry for your loss. Testimony and witness of the good things of the Lord. Of course, that's constructive speech. When we bring testimony about the things that God is doing, when we bear witness to the work that he's doing in our lives or in the lives of those around us. So what I'd like to submit to us is, you know, if... so. Somebody help me understand. Um, Norm will know the answer to this for sure because he knows all things related to. But, but what's one of the key ways? Where are you, Norm? Oh, Norm, where are you? He's driving. That's right. He had to go drive. Um, but how do you stop a forest fire? What is one of the key ways that they stop a forest fire? What was that? They build a backfire. That seems kind of counterintuitive. Build a fire to stop a fire. But that's what they do. They'll actually build a fire. They dig a trench, you know, and they build a fire, a backfire to, to, to go against the fire that's coming. So here's what I'd like to submit to us. 
even as a congregation, to make this, in this year of growing maturity and in this season where we're, you know, unpacking the book of James, I want to make a challenge to us, to myself and to us as a congregation. Could we, in the midst of the corrosiveness of our society and the, and the, and the, the fire, the, the forest fires of, of negativity and the forest fires of, of strife and the forest fires of gossip and slander, could we, could we commit ourselves, by God's grace and with his help, to start building backfires? Could we build some backfires of speaking the truth in love? Could we build some backfires of wise counsel and sound advice, of reproof and rebuke and exhortation and encouragement and edification and comfort and consolation and testimony and witness? I think we could build some backfires that might begin to change actually the atmosphere in your home or in your workplace or in your neighborhood or in your school. You have the power in your tongue to influence in a constructive way the atmosphere in which you live. We have that opportunity to do that. And by now, all of us and... I don't hear Warren this morning, but at this point, I hear Warren saying, help me, Jesus. Help us, Jesus. Help us. All right. Here's the deal. As James continues to unpack the news for us here about our tongue, is the tongue is not only influential and can be destructive or constructive, it is also can be inconsistent. Or I want to submit to you that the tongue as a part of our growing maturity and being perfected in the Lord um, can actually become consistent. But let's look at what James has to say here. He says, all kinds of animals and birds and reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil. The word there is inconsistent. It's, 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 an incon- it's, it's constantly inconsistent, and it's, it's evil. It's full of deadly poison with the tongue. And, and listen to what he says here. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth, Come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So here's where we're at. Our speech will be unruly unless it's ruled by God. That's what I get out of this. Our speech will be unruly unless it is ruled by God because no man, no person can tame their own tongue. Correct? Correct? 
Help me if any of you, you know, if any of you got it all figured out, please come on up and share with us now. So you're not going to tame it simply by biting it because you bite your tongue every time and, well, it hurts. (laughs) And it doesn't stop it. Because then it hurts and then out of your pain you say other things. (laughs) But that's really important. I mean, I think this is... You know, James is just shining a spotlight into our soul. And he says, you know, you praise God, but then you go out and you curse people. And you know who you're cursing. It's those people. And you know who those people are. Those people are the people that aren't you. But they're made in God's likeness. Every human being on this earth is made in the likeness of God. Every person on earth has value and beauty in God's sight because he creates no junk and no garbage. Even the person that is driving you nuts right now. And it might be the one that you wake up in bed with in the morning or up in another room that you have to get up to go to school. Or your neighbor, or your coworker, or whoever it is, somebody. Our speech is unruly, unless it is ruled by God. So, what I'd like to close with this morning is not a um, a self help way to, you know, tame your tongue, because. Anybody tried that? That just doesn't work real well. Okay. But I, I, I do think the scripture here in Psalm 141 gives us a couple of insights that might help us. So um, I think there's a process that God can begin in our hearts even this morning to help us have our tongues ruled by God. And I don't know about you, but I really want God to do this in me. I really want to grow up in my speech. So here's where it begins, and here's where it ends, (laughs) and here's where it is everywhere in the middle. Depend on God. Stop depending on yourself, because how's that been working out so far? That's right. So depend on God. Um, I love this. I call to you, Lord, come quickly to me. Hear me when I call you. May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. In other words, Jesus, help! I'm calling to you right now. I need you to help me. Because I can't do it on my own. I need you. That's what grace is about. It's him sending help. Not when we've got it all together, but when we don't. 
So this is not a message to beat you up today with how bad you are. It's simply a message to reorient us to say, we, our tongues are unruly and they need to be tamed, but we cannot do it ourselves, so we're going to depend on God. Jesus, help us. With his help, then, discipline your tongues. I love what it says here. Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. (laughs) That wouldn't be a bad prayer to pray. I don't know. Maybe you want to. That, that that could be one that could go up on the you know the bathroom mirror. Or maybe on the dashboard of the car. You know. Lord, set a guard over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips, so that what goes in and out. Right. And it is discipline, and there is a difference. Remember, I, we, we're so distorted in our understanding, we automatically assume discipline is punishment, and it's not. God's not out to punish us. He's there, the setting the guard on our mouth is not to punish us, but it's to discipline, it's to orient our mouths, our lives, so that, so that we're becoming all that he's created us to be. It's a good thing. Discipline is good. It doesn't inhibit your freedom. It actually expands your freedom. Direct your hearts. This is so significant. And we, we're going to get at this just a bit more just as we come to a close here. But do not let my heart be drawn to what is evil so that I take part in Wicked deeds along with those who are evildoers. Listen to those words. Do not let me eat their delicacies. Because it's out of our hearts that flow. I mean, the words that we're speaking, the things that we say, they're flowing out of our hearts. So our tongue ends up expressing what's actually going on here. And that's why our tongues are such a good early warning indicator of what's actually going on in here. I know, I mean, I, boy, yep. I think you probably are as human as I am that you you know what it's like, right? You know when your heart, the stuff, when things start coming out of your mouth. develop our maturity. This is the whole point here of what James is getting at. This is the end, keeping the end before us. And I love this. He says, let a righteous man strike me. That is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. That is oil on my head. My head will not refuse it, for my prayer will still be against the deeds of evildoers. Um, 
it's really hard to tame the tongue and develop the kind of maturity that we have in isolation. Actually, discipleship biblically is intended to happen in the context of community. In fact, let me go further. I don't believe that you can experience the Christian life at a full biblical level absent community. And so community becomes the crucible. That's where the heat gets turned up. You know, I, 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 I share this prayer, and I didn't think of it. I would have brought it out here with me to, with, our, with, all, with the pre-marriage. You know, it's, Lord, um, so far today, I haven't, um, you know, I haven't spoken awry. I haven't uh, been cranky. I haven't been selfish. I haven't been um, unkind. I, I haven't been um, bitter or angry or any, any other of those types of things. I haven't said anything that would whatever. But, but now I'm about to get out of bed. But now I'm about to get out of bed. I'm going to need a lot more help from here. It's when we're in community. And so that's where I want to invite you, even in your bulletin, you can look. And there's all kinds of opportunities there listed for you for community. There's all kinds of things happening this week where you can begin to develop community with other people. There's women's gatherings on Tuesday and Thursday. There's a men's gathering on Tuesday. There's... There's an, a, a young family's gathering coming up. There's, um, there's mosaic groups there, which are our missional communities that happen in neighborhoods where we can, can um, uh, where, where we're doing the rhythms of in, out, and up and, and, and experiencing life together. Um, you know, church doesn't end when we say the benediction. Church begins. I mean, this is the place, you know, where, you know, again... Uh, Oh, God, it's been so wonderful to be in your presence. Too bad now that I have to go back into the real world where we've been in the real world and we're going back into the real world with what we've been experiencing. And we need to experience ongoing community with one another to help us. I have grown the most in my life in the context of the community that God has graciously given me the opportunity to be a part of. Both this community in the large gathering, but probably as profoundly, if not more, in those smaller communities where I'm interacting with folks and I'm experiencing life together with other people that gets really real, where we can share our hearts and truly receive from others words that will help us to grow up. Our final word, and worship team, you can come on up if you would. Make a tree good and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is recognized by its fruit. This is Jesus' words. You brood of vipers, how can you say, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word that you have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Ah, Jesus, could you 
soften that just a little bit for us, please. But Jesus is speaking truth and love to us. And he's saying the same thing that James is saying here, unsurprisingly. (laughs) They would have a consistent message for us. So this morning, we're going to take a moment and an opportunity, and um, I don't know how you end up responding to this word. Um, I respond by saying, oh, Jesus, have mercy. Help. I cannot do this without you. Please come. Please deliver. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can understand it. And then it goes on and says, but God is greater than our heart. I'm so grateful he's greater than my heart. And he's greater than our tongues. And yeah, there may need to be some repentance for words that you've spoken. All of us have that. And that's an important part of the process of growing into maturity. It's also important to not get stuck there in the shame and the failure because, you know, welcome to the community of broken people who've missed the mark. But that's where grace comes in and the goodness of God. And this is a day to start. And I want to call us to building those backfires of speaking truth and love, of goodness, of life, speaking words of life, Jesus. May that be true in my life, Lord. Begin in my own heart. And for this body, we pray. Do your work. So we have a moment here to pray. The food will be getting prepared. It's going to be a little opportunity for some transition. So we've got a a little extra moments today to spend time with the Lord. And you can do that quietly right where you are in your seat, or you can come to this altar. Either way, it's just fine. But we're going to sing this song, this prayer. Lord, you have my heart. And then we're going to sing it, and I don't know, I haven't figured out all the words, how we'll do it, but Lord, you have my tongue. (laughs) So, Gene, if you could just start playing that, that'd be great. And uh, Can we just open our hearts to him and make this the confession of your heart? This is my desire, Lord, to honor you. I want to give you one final word of encouragement and perhaps instruction. All I can tell you is my own story. One of the most powerful ways that the Lord has helped in the taming of my own tongue is actually through the 
ongoing discipline of praying in my prayer language. So I just want to encourage you, if you have a prayer language, to use that. Because somehow in that praying in the Spirit, God begins to, I think, put a rudder and discipline on your tongue. And if that's something you need and maybe you're just longing for, you can come and receive prayer this morning. We'll pray with you and ask the Lord to, to send that and give that to you, that, that tool, that help. You can just ask him right where you are and say, Jesus. So Jesus, together we pray here in this house right now, in the soberness of this moment. Lord, we're asking that Jesus, you would come and that, Lord, you would heal us in this place, in this area of need. So, Lord, come. open our hands right now. Jesus, with open hands and open hearts, with open mouths, with open spirits, we welcome you to come, Lord. Jesus, you see us where we are. And you welcome us. You don't condemn us. Thank you that you do not condemn us. So come with your loving kindness and with those cords of loving kindness. Lead us to repentance today and into a new way of walking and talking and speaking and Jesus into new life in you. Arrest our restless hearts. And rule our unruly tongues, we pray. In the name of Jesus, do this work, God, that only you can. And may you be filled afresh this very day with that immeasurable love of God the Father and the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son and the inexhaustible strength and power, comfort and hope of the Holy Spirit be with you and yours. As you go from this house to yours, sent to make disciples of all nations, sent to testify and be a witness of the goodness and the glory of God, our Savior. Go with the banner of His favor over your lives and until we gather again, either in this house or in our eternal home, I pray that His love and goodness will chase you down every day of your life. For His glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to continue to just worship.